All right. Uh, hi. Welcome back to this podcast. Um, <clears throat> hopefully this goes a little smoother than last week. I am still so incredibly bad at public speaking. <clears throat> and while I'm not in the public and, you know, in fact, sitting in my dorm room by myself, uh, knowing this is technically directed at an audience gets my anxiety going like almost nothing else does. Um, that being said, I'm hoping this week to talk about um, it's two writers we've gone through in class, um, but I know when I was doing my readings of them and when I was writing like responses about them, I wasn't focused in on the environment the way I want to do for this for this discussion, this podcast. Um, I know my responses were more about like the general meaning of the poem and not how I was seeing like the environment through this person's perspective or how I was seeing it being used or, or talked about or anything like that. Um, that so. I wanted to talk about uh, a few poems from Miku Paul and a few poems from uh, Molly Spotted Elk. Uh, and just as a, um, a word of warning uh, to preface this, I suppose, um, still not a poetry person. Uh, I still have a lot of difficulty in, in understanding the language of poetry because it's, it's often, it often is not straightforward and not that prose like normal like narrative prose is, is often straightforward uh, a lot of times you know there's there's metaphors and uh, a deeper meaning and like word choice has um it, an importance that you need to like pay attention to uh but with poetry like i'm i don't really understand like the rhythm involved with it i don't understand the the importance of that rhythm i don't understand why certain things rhyme and why it's necessary that certain things rhyme it doesn't um i have trouble just figuring out how it draws attention to that um but for the purposes of this podcast uh i'm not focusing on technique i'm focusing strictly on content and content as i see it which means i could be incorrect in how i am um how i interpret some of these in which case i apologize um but uh, before I actually get into the poems, um, I wanted to talk about, I was looking for a broader context to sort of understand the Native American view on um, on the environment, on nature in general. Um, and I, I hesitate to, to use Native American as a broad, uh, as like a blanket statement, because I know within that are so many different cultures and so many different tribes that have their own unique views on everything. Um, there are some common themes I was, I was finding at least, uh, when I was looking through, um, I found a couple articles, uh, one on JSTOR, there was one, um, I think it was a professor actually talking about like the, one of the poems I'm talk, I want to talk about, uh, specifically going into like, how it relates to Miku Paul's past and her role in the Maliseet um, culture and and things like that. Um, and then I was also, I was looking into the Maliseet and the Penobscot, uh, they have their websites up and I was looking into um, what was featured on there. And I found some interesting information about their like natural resources department. Um, departments because it's different for each tribe and i wasn't so much surprised by the fact that these exist because i mean these it's it's a political system for for a group of people uh and they have their own way of doing things for the for the the land they they live on and 
uh, and the people who are part of the land and all of that. Um, I was, however, I was, I was, I don't know. I was just very interested in, in the way their, their parks, not the parks, the way their, um, departments were set up. And I was looking at, um, believe it was the Penobscot specifically where in like not a mission statement but in one of their like descriptors for um one of their descriptors for for the what what the purpose of the this natural resources department is talked about um the role of of like man and nature like it's it's they're not doing this specifically to they're not trying to protect these natural resources and manage them and protect the environment for the purpose of human development and human um, progress and, and human protection for that matter. Um, it's because they see themselves as part of the, as part of the environment. Um, and this is their, this is like their duty to care for the environment. Um, and I know, so I, I'm in no way an expert on Native American culture. Most of what I know is from history class and then what we've discussed in this course with the different writers we've studied. Um, so anything I say is just my observation or, or uh, something I've pulled from a website I've been looking at or something I pulled from the poems themselves. Um, that being said, even without the background, I there's an obvious reverence that Native writers have for the natural surroundings um, that I, I think in particular white writers tend to lack. Older white writers, especially, I think. I, I think more people nowadays are, are learning to disregard some of these old, um, not traditions, these old uh, habits, I suppose one would say. Um, for a lot of Western writers, maybe to, to broaden that a little bit, Western writers, nature is beautiful. Nature, they, they, they recount the wonders of nature, they recount the, the majesty of nature, but a lot of the time, this is sort of couched in in what nature can do for the writer or or for the like the narrator, the character, however you however it is is being displayed. Um, so nature is beautiful in these stories and poems, but it's often beautiful because it serves a purpose. Um, even when I was talking last week about um, Sarah Orne Jewett, the purpose of her story wasn't to preserve anything for nature or to promote any sort of because nature, nature served the purpose in that story of being something as being a metaphor for her to use, and and that being you know Sylvia's innocence was tied to this idea of the natural world, and uh, and from what I was reading of of Jewett, she she saw she saw nature as being like a place where one could become more like spiritually inclined, like closer to the to the, like the divine elements or. Um, a place to like sort of escape the urban problems one might have uh, and and there's nothing inherently wrong with that with that viewpoint i think um it becomes wrong if it goes further which i'll get into in a second but i don't i don't think that's wrong um especially because it still is a reason for people to want to eat to, to be with nature to keep nature like to keep the natural world as beautiful and thriving as they can make it. It's fundamentally good in all counts, I think, just to have that sort of mindset. Um, but I, it's, and I've noticed when I was reading these stories and I was looking at more information, 
Native writers and by extension Native peoples tend to view the environment less as a separate entity, like something they can go in and out of um, at their leisure and more as just something they're intrinsically a part of. Um, the natural world, from what I understand, has always been like a mainstay of the various Native cultures um, because they viewed the world differently than the Europeans did and from even just regular like, average American, like non-Native American this, uh, this day and age, it's, it's a different view. Um, it was never something to be conquered. It was something to live within and care for as it cared for them in return. Um, and especially with the writers I'm covering this week, um, it's 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 so tied to their who they are as a person because it's so tied to who they are as as a peoples, as a tribe, as a culture. Um, their traditions are all caught up in nature. Um, it, it's just, it's an intrinsic part of their history. Um, and it's not that it's not always the same thing with with a white writer or a Western writer or however you want to say it. But the the devotion to nature, I think, is different. And the the open acknowledgement that we are that they are not above nature in any way. They are firmly within nature. They are a part of it at every level. And I don't think you see that very often in in white writers or men unfortunately, especially because of that sort of domineering complex that men have when they write things uh, or act in general. Uh, and I'm not trying to stereotype, but it is something you can view very easily through literature and history and other forms of media. Um, okay, so to get into the actual poetry, I suppose, because uh, I've been talking for 10 minutes already, wow. Um, I'll start with Miku Paul because I, I actually, I really liked Miku Paul's works. I don't think I talked much about any of these poems, actually, um, aside maybe from the Ballad of Gabe Aquin, Aquin um, when I was doing my response for, for that week. Uh, I know I didn't touch on the other two poems I want to talk about, which are The Water Road and Return. Uh, and it was, it's that I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't like them, it was that I understood more from the Ballad of Gabe Aquin because it was a, it was a narrative structure and it was easier for me to follow. Um, that being said, I really wanted to talk about the water road and return for a very specific reason, in that the language used for both of these poems, um, I think more so, more so perhaps in return than the water road, but um, the language is, is very much Miku Pol writing Where, where there is no separation between between her and the natural world. Um, in, it is explicitly and implicitly stated throughout this poem, these two poems actually, that, that there is no separation. Nature is not a separate entity. She's very much a part of the natural world. Um, in return, uh, I, really, I really loved some of the language that got used. Uh, there's there's a line, um, it's the first line actually in the poem, where last night I dreamed I heard the earth groan, felt her bones shift deep inside my skin. Um, it's that it's that use of my skin, like it's hearing, it's like, it's this, there's a connection there. It's, it's feeling things as the earth feels it and like having that, that like visceral understanding of, and it's, it, it's metaphorical or even in this case, if it is actually a dream, then it's like it's not something that's really happening, but it's uh, indicative. And then I think 
it just it it's indicative of of her actual view on what nature is and the and the purpose of nature, which is that just that it's there and it's part of the world and it should be cared for as such, um, because we are part of the world. And for her, um, I'm sure this goes back to uh, like her her native heritage. Um, however, she was introduced to it. Uh, this like going back to the idea that there is no separation, there is no uh, conquering of the natural world because you are a part of the natural world and there, therefore it's a, it's a kind of a feudal ideal. Um, and like that language carries out, carries through the entire poem. Um, I really, really like that personally. Uh, there's that very much one with the earth sense in it uh, that I enjoy. Um, and I think, I think this is like that difference between even what I was talking about with, with Sarah Orna Jewett, where it's the earth just kind of is, it's not. Um, and, and the earth is, is divine and spiritual and all that, because that's how, what it is. That is what the natural world is, not just for these native American people, but for people in general. Um, but it's not there to be used I'm trying to decide how I want to phrase that. It's not there to be used for man's purposes. Because Sarah and Jewett, I don't I don't think there's a disrespect in her writing. I mean, I don't I don't think I mentioned it. I don't think I read read it as that in any way. Um but there's definitely there's a disconnect there that doesn't feature in Mufu Falls poetry. Um and and again, this carries over into the water road. And I was reading someone else's, um, I was reading, I think it's a professor. Uh, I don't, I don't know the school this professor is a part of. The website was, I didn't get a chance to, to go through the entire website, um, but it's from Rachel Bryant, I believe. Um, and it was her, uh, <clears throat> it was her. Uh, breakdown sort of of the poem and I I noticed uh once I had to read through the poem a few times but one of the things I noticed like like in return is that the language used is this there again there's no separation where um like she she describes the 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 these journey that these people that people are on and her people specifically this journey that they are on um along along these natural roads along these natural pathways um following the water or following the river uh and to like their ancestral home and, and seeing like the the progression uh that her people have had over the, over the centuries um and and throughout the poem there are these depictions of uh of them being both physically and then metaphorically like a part of nature um uh, like as, as in the line, stone shards, bone stratum, buried deep, our ancient cenotaph, which I had to look up and found out it was a monument to someone buried elsewhere. Um, which I'm assuming in this case is a monument to the to the people who maybe were buried away from from their native lands um, for a variety of reasons, because I know the U.S. has done some absolutely terrible things in terms of removing native peoples from their lands. Um, 
but this idea that like within like the stone and the bone stratum are like sort of one and they're and they're both there and they're it's it's them in the earth with the earth um sort of uh and then there's other there's other lines such as like um further down it's, it's a signpost are chalcedony flesh i'm probably mispronouncing that but chalcedony i had to look up again was quartz um blue veins you call nature's highway the map flowing inside our bodies uh so that again that connection that they they are of the earth they have a, a deep-rooted um sense of self that that is interconnected intertwined with the earth um and i really like there's a line um in the next stanza uh or prior to that it's it's the and onward to a to the Penobscot, uh, where a girl becomes a woman, and this is this is Miku Paul's personal um, journey of of her growing up and gr in this in this uh, uh, oh wow in this world. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, but then the line after that, um, which is her body craves the past, its waters seeking the cold flow, ancestral memory, where tributaries meet, flooding. Undernourished roots that cling to her edges, eroded year by year with forgetting. Uh, the body line, I don't know what it was about it the first time I read it. This is something I noted weeks ago when we first did this poem. Um, my first thought was not just physical human body, but like this body of water. Um, so, you know, such as a lake or, or uh, I think that's generally used for a lake or, or a pond or something like that, but I, uh, or the ocean. But I mean, I assume it can also apply to to a river, um, and it's again that just um, that lack of separation, uh, that that that's visceral understanding of of the earth because you are a part of it. And I, I know I'm repeating myself, um, which I apologize for. I'm sure it's not super interesting to hear me say the same thing over and over. Uh, it's just that that's this is my understanding of this poem, and this is like my understanding of the Native American or the Penobscot view of, of what the earth is and what humans are to the earth, what the earth is to humans and such. Um, and I keep, I just keep coming back to that idea of it's, there is no separation. There is no, which is important to me because um, I, and to go to the Ballad of Gabe Quinn, which I talked about in my response on Padlet, I believe. Um, because there was one thing in, in that one that really, that also really struck me was there's the depiction of the scene of these white men who came into the area uh, and got Gabe to show them like the hunting grounds and to, to get them to help them find like the best game and things like that because they were looking for trophies and <clears throat> to me it's like game hunting um, trophy, trophy hunting where the purpose isn't for food, the purpose isn't for sustenance or, or sustainability or anything like that. The purpose is just to bring a trophy back with you, to prove you conquered the earth, you conquered the wild, you are once again proving yourself above and beyond the natural world. Uh, that's That was my first impression of, of that scene, especially um, with the placement of Gabe when they're taking a picture sitting lower than them on the steps. Uh, where they're standing and he's sitting and he's on a separate step entirely, and that um, that otherness that's attributed to him, uh, and that that otherness is then a, a sort of a lesser a lesser perception because he is not a white man and he is not above these these he he's not above 
the natural world. He is not a conqueror. He is a... I can't quite think of the word I would want to use for that, but uh, I hope that the impression I have here is coming through. Um, and I mean, the rest of the poem for Gabe Quinn is, is solidifying this idea that like he he knows these he knows the woods. He is a part of the woods. He has uh, a, a so even more special connection than like the average person in his in his family and his community. Um, to the natural world because he seems as though he he knows it better than anyone else um i i just i that that's what i really liked about that one poem um because there's such a clear image in my head of when i read that that uh that these white men came for the purpose of conquering and you can use that as a metaphor for the white men coming in and conquering everything ever all the time especially in America, and especially in, when you're talking about the natives, um, the Native Americans. But for, again, my purposes, I'm really focusing on the, the environmental aspect of it. Uh, and because I have been talking for a while, I'm going to go move on to Molly Spotted Elk, which, um, in all fairness, I like her poetry. I like how it sounds. I like how it flows. <clears throat> but it's another one of those, even with an understanding of her background, I have, I have a tough time sort of understanding the message. Um, <clears throat> like one of her, her untitled poem, um, the first one that shows up in our, in our anthology, uh, where it's, uh, I'm free in the world of these carpeted hills. I'm drunk with the scent of cedar and pine. I revel in scenes of snow rock and hill, uh, rills. <clears throat> I feast where the gods of the great forest dine. I noted when I first read it how much I liked the poem. <clears throat> I like the imagery. I like everything about uh, her word choice. I like how it, um, there's a serenity I really like about it, and 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 that that sense of like freedom because uh, and I know for for Molly Spotted Out, um, she was away from her home for so so much of her life, uh, either. Uh, and for, with just her dancing while well, she was still in America, uh, she was away for school. She then she was in uh, France for so long, um, and I know a lot of her writing was away for her too. This this that she did, and then the later things that she did, like she was writing children's stories of Penobscot. Um, just occurred to me I might have been reading Penobscot when I wasn't supposed to, but I'm um, sorry. But the Penobscot. Uh, traditions and and stories that she's had uh she's heard passed down um and a lot of a lot of for her her writing was that preservation of culture and that uh perhaps like feeling connected to her people even when she wasn't among them all the time um and that's why i thought it was interesting that so much of her writing then is is about nature um and i was reading something uh an article that i found on jstor um which was about uh, the, the like the influence of Native American writing on the genre of nature writing, and there was a line in it. I was just it's it makes a lot of sense, but it's it's that idea that Western writers, European writers, whatever you want to say, uh, they consider nature writing a genre. It is a separate part of writing. It is is uh, a specific for like a specific version of writing, whereas uh, a lot of Native people. Uh, like contemporary native writers even that's not how they view it it's not because nature is in everything 
it's like you just write it that's what uses what you're writing about it's not a separate genre it's not a separate type of writing um and i think i think that comes through a lot especially with with molly spotted out because so much of her stuff is about the is about the natural world and perhaps her like her memories of of where she grew up and and the world that comes with that or the nature that she got to see in her travels um but it's because and it's because it's it's a connection for with her people with her heritage, her traditions, um, her history, but it's also just because this is this is the world. It's not all like cities. It's not all um, suburbs, uh, and glass and chrome and all of that. Like the natural world is is just it's it's everything. It's in everything, and um, that's why I really liked this untitled film, just because it's just very pretty. Um, but I think when you connect it to like her larger idea of what she was writing, it comes out that this is just her writing about what she knows and what she wants to preserve and protect. And I think that goes along with um, with like what she thinks of of nature. Uh, and then the other poem from her I really liked was uh, I believe it was the Lost Soul of the Wilderness. Um, and this whole poem definitely comes across as, as trying to recall uh, her past, uh, her home that she's no longer like she's no longer there, and she wants to to bring to mind what like um, the the sounds that she's missing, the the views that she's not seeing anymore. Uh, so the querying hoot of the owl, um, the heavy beats of the cow moose's canter. Um, But and for her and like in this case, like that's not what she's actually seeing. It's it's either a dream or a memory or something like that. Uh, but it's it's important to her. Um, and the lost soul of the wilderness, like I I'm not sure if that's in reference to the idea of like post industrialization, post um, modernization of, of cities and things like that. That nature was slowly being like encroached upon, and not even slowly. It was very quickly being encroached upon, actually. Um, and it was very quickly like disappearing and i i'm curious if the lost soul is in reference to herself as in she's lost she's not at home she's she's not um she's not among these these things the trees the the breeze the the sound she would be hearing or if the lost soul of the wilderness is supposed to be in reference to the idea that the soul of the wilderness itself was disappearing um <clears throat> or the soul for people even maybe uh with because there i know there was, uh, I mean, there's still an issue of, of the decline in, in like native cultures and, the, and the, their land being taken still uh, for other things like pipelines and whatnot. Um, <clears throat> but obviously, at the time, it was probably it was probably already a, a, a huge fear of hers and other people's that it would just be gone. Um, That's, uh, I don't even know how to wrap this episode up. Um, that, the big takeaway for me, obviously, and I've said it several times over the course of this episode, uh, is just that there is such a, a reverence for nature in Native American writing. Not Native American nature writing, just writing in general, uh, because it's, it's what they know. It's what's. It's the what they understand of the world, 
and it's fascinating to me um, because it's it's not what I've obviously grown up with. Um, it's not what I see in modern media. It's not what I see in anything, honestly. Um, except sometimes when I'm looking into the, the environmental movement. Um, that being said, uh, that's actually um, where I'm probably going to go for episode three, for my final episode, uh, because uh, I got super excited this week when I found out that Rachel Carson was uh, was one of the writers we were looking at. I've looked up to her for years. Um, and whatever I whatever I talk about next week, I'm probably going to find a way to work her in and maybe the modern environmental movement. And um, I would definitely love to talk about Silent Spring and some of her other works that she's done. Uh, so I think that is where I'll be going next week, uh, barring any sudden changes in my schedule. Uh, so thank you for listening and I'll see you next week.